Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Leviticus chapter 7. As we look at the fire shall not go out. The fire shall not go out. Leviticus chapter 1 through 7. I pray that you had read that this week. I think if you will, you'll be more informed. And so I want to encourage you to always read the passage of Scripture. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 7 here in a moment. But first, I want to bring your attention. Once you find that, if you can just bring your attention up to me. I want you to imagine that there is a book. And in that book, you write down all the sins that you commit in one day. Okay? Uh, Intentional sins, unintentional sins you've done by uh, commission, maybe the sins you've done by omission, things that you did not do, things that you intentionally did, but then thinking back, what are the things in which you sinned unintentionally? So imagine you would write that book. Now, let, let me guess, and I'll go on a limb. How many of you would probably say, oh, I sin at least, at least three times a day? You'd say, okay, you, safe number is three times a day. Anyone be less than that? Okay, but can you imagine just three times a day? So if you did, if you sin three times a day, so you wrote that down, and then on a new page, you would start another. So that would be, you know, over a year, a thousand sins in one year, give or take, a little bit more probably. And if you lived to 70 years, that would mean your book would then contain at least 70,000 to 80,000 sins over a year. Now all of a sudden you can say, well, three sins, that's not too bad, but 1,000 in a year, that's still not too bad, but 70,000. Could you imagine standing before a court of law in front of a judge with 70,000 parking tickets? or some other type of infraction, what type of way he would throw the book. So just imagine, though, if you were to put all of that in there, what would be the size of your book? I could probably stand on it and you could see me then a little bit better. Yeah, there's quite a bit there. Now imagine that when you sin, you then had to do some type of ritual act over and over to atone for that sin. So if you did something, then you would have to do something to atone. Whatever it may be, maybe it's picking up a widget, maybe it's writing it down, maybe it's something simple, maybe it's something a little bit more complex, but you had to do it over and over. Do you think that might change the way that you view your sin if you had to write it down each and every time? Or if you had to do some type of task when it came to mind for forgiveness or atonement. Could you imagine, though, doing all that and never finding forgiveness or any type of relief from the shame and the guilt of our continual sinful actions? Well, we learned last week that Leviticus serves as part two on the ongoing drama of the children of Israel after their deliverance from Egypt. 
and it serves as a pit stop on their way to the promised land as God gives them instructions for his newly redeemed people, teaching them how to worship and to obey him. Leviticus, as we saw last week, prevents the gospel as it points out the high cost of sin. It paints a beautiful picture of grace and redemption. And then it has both a corporate and personal call to holiness. That's what we learned last week. Well, as you might recall from the gospel primer, it reflects the truth of scripture when it notes that God is unimaginably awesome in all his perfections and that he's absolutely righteous and absolutely holy and just in all of his ways. And he's been unbelievably good to all of his creation as the creator and sustainer of our lives. And that he will always continue to be that. And you and I are utterly dependent upon him. That is what scripture reveals to us. But it also goes on to reveal that God is the most supreme object of admiration, of honor and delight in all this world. And God has created us that we may turn our eyes upward, out from ourselves, and see the beauty of that object of admiration. However... You and I know that we have not done so. For scripture goes on to teach us that we, our first parents, failure to do so, cast all of humanity into sin. And not only that, is that we join our first parents in wholeheartedly support and join in their rebellion against our holy, just, providential, beneficial benefactor our creator. Scripture goes on to give the judgment against us in Romans when he says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then says a little bit later that the wages or the penalty of our rebellion against our creator is what? Death. The penalty, the wages of our sin is death. Yet what we find here, even as we go through Leviticus, a book that makes many eyes glaze, that works as an ambient for most of us and puts us to sleep, yet in here we see that God has a desire to show his loving kindness and he decides to choose a people for himself, to redeem them from their sin and to reconcile them back into fellowship. Leviticus serves as a necessary part of that unfolding story of redemption of sinners who come short of the glory of God and are deserving of death. Leviticus, as you might recall from last year, records how God graciously, and you need to write this down so you have it as you read it. God graciously provides a way for his people to live in his presence. Let me give it to you one more time. We did it last week. But redundancy is the key to learning. As that Leviticus proves or shows that God graciously provides a way for his people to live in his presence. In choosing Israel, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God provided, we saw last week, four temporary solutions to deal with the sin issue. If the wages or if the penalty of sin is death, and we do not die when we first sin, God says, I am going to provide a temporary solution so that you will not die when you sin. 
We saw that those were the rituals, the purity laws, the priest who would serve as mediators, and then that wonderful day of atonement. In today's passage, God gives Moses instructions concerning the first, the sacrificial rituals in the form of five offerings. So here we are, Leviticus chapter 7. Look at verse 37. It's there in the monitor as well. But I do want to encourage you, bring your Bible, join with this. It's something about reading on there, being able to take notes, underline it, things of that nature. And if you do not have a Bible, could you please see Dustin? We'd love to get one in your hand. This is the law of the burnt offering, Moses writes in 737, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, verse 38, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Father, open up our minds and our hearts to this sometimes difficult book. Help us to see the beautiful word pictures that are painted and drawn in its pages. Help draw us back so that we may be able to understand fully what you're revealing here for us today. And Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love. Let us embrace your word and let us hold it as true. And Father, may your spirit work now that we may respond to however you may be calling us this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Leviticus chapter 7, 37 through 38, serves as kind of a summary of what you read this week of chapters 1 through 7. The first five chapters of Leviticus gave instructions for the general procedures or the reasons for each of the offerings and the sacrifices, while chapters 6 and 7 focuses on the proper handling, the eating, or disposals of the offerings. You may say that chapter 6 and 7 was OSHA coming in after someone set up business and say, well, here's the rules. This is how you got to deal with it all. So what are the sacrifices? We're going to ask some questions. I'm going to try to answer them. The first question I'm going to ask is, what are the sacrificial rituals? What are the five of them? Well, there's, here's descriptions. You'll see some of these on the, on the monitor. The, the first three were actually voluntary. You'll see them all there. I don't know how well you can see that. But the first was a burnt offering. That was a, a voluntary act. It was a voluntary act of worship to express devotion or commitment to God. It was also used for an atonement for unintentional sins. The elements of the burnt offerings were a bull, a bird, or a ram without blemish. That was very important. <clears throat> the meat and the bones and the organs of the animal were to be totally burnt, nothing left, and this was God's portion. The animal hide, though, was given to the Levites, who those were the priests who, who managed the sacrifices in the temple, who were the tabernacle at this time, who could later sell it to earn money for themselves, use it for tanning, leather goods, things of that nature. The second voluntary offering, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a frog in my throat, was the grain or the meal offering, in which the fruit of the field was offered in the form of a cake or baked bread made of grain, fine flour, oil, and salt. So it would be something that you would bake, bake and you would bring. Now the purpose of this was to express thanksgiving and recognition of God's provision and his unmerited goodwill towards you. 
for, for making that sacrifice. Now the priests were given this portion of the offering and it had to be eaten within the courts of the tabernacle. So these, they would serve multiple purposes. They would serve as an offering and then they would also many times serve as the food for the high priests and the Levites. Now there was a third voluntary offering as you continue through Leviticus and that was what you call the peace offering. And that consisted of an unblemished animal from the worshipers herd and various grains or breads. It was a sacrifice of thanksgiving and fellowship and it was a shared meal. The priest was given the breast of the animal. The officiating priest, those who would be doing the, the grunt work, so to speak, were given the right foreleg. And then the pieces of the offering were the wave offering, the heave offering. And the fat, the kidneys, and the lobe of the liver were given to God. These were burnt up. They were, they were consumed by the fire. And then the remainder of the animal was for the participants to eat. So they would come together. The priest would do their duty. They would give you back the food, the food, the animal. And then you would eat it with your friends or family or whomever you, invi you invited. Now, there were also two mandatory offerings. So the first were voluntary. The next two were mandatory. They had to do these. And the first was the sin offering. And that was to atone for sin and cleanse from defilement. And there were five possible elements of the sin sacrifice. It had to be a young bull, a male goat, a female goat, a dove or pigeon, or a tenth of fine flour. The type of animal depended on the identity and the financial situation of a giver. A female goat was a sin offering for a common person. Fine flour was for those that were very poor and may not have animals or could afford one. A young bull was offered for the high priest and the congregation as a whole and so on. And they had specific instructions on what to do with the blood of the animal during the ceremony. The fatty portions of the lobe of the liver and the kidneys, again, were given to God. They were burnt up, consumed in the fire, and the rest of the animal was either totally burned on the altar and the ashes thrown outside the camp or eaten within the tabernacle court. And then the second and last mandatory sacrifice was the guilt or the trespass offering. And this sacrifice was exclusively a ram. The trespass offering was given as an atonement, again, for unintentional sins that required reimbursement to an offended party. It was cleansing from defiling sins or physical maladies. Again, the fat portions, the kidney and the liver were offered to God, burnt up, and the remainder of the ram was to be eaten inside the court of the tabernacle. So there are the, so there was three that were offering or voluntary, and there were two that were mandatory. Now, if you're like me, this is already getting confusing. What is what? What am I going to do? What, so you're already seeing there are requirements and there are expectations that are already starting to make their lives much more difficult than it was the day before. Again, and mainly these are to deal with unintentional sins. Sins that they would do not even intentionally doing. So you may ask, well, what are their pur purpose? Well, Bible teacher Wayne Stiles writes this. He said, God gave the book of Leviticus. And this is, now this is important as you read this. This book was given to an already redeemed people. This was a chosen people that was already delivered. And the offerings in Leviticus served as God's gracious provision for how one could regain or, and sustain fellowship with God. 
So in other words, it was not so they could be uh, accepted by God. They were already accepted by God, but it was how to regain, if they had unintentionally sinned, how to regain that fellowship or how to sustain it in the first place. So it's not so much to, to find forgiveness and, and acceptance by God. They were already accepted by God, but it was to regain and sustain fellowship. He goes on to write, and you'll see here as we go to the monitor, that the burnt offerings, as you see the first one, the burnt offering teaches that God is pleased to accept anyone who comes to him through his prescribed sacrifice. Now here's where you're going to need your Bible. Look at Leviticus chapter 1 verse 3. Just turn back there and we're going to go through uh, just a portion of scriptures as we look at the purposes of these things. What was the purpose of the burnt offering? What was to see, teach that God is pleased to accept anyone? In Leviticus chapter 1 verse 3, If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent, meaning that he may be what? Accepted before the Lord. Now the second one, as we see here is the monitor, is someone that was accepted by God's grace through the burnt offering now could respond in gratitude through a grain or a cereal offering. It was a gift from God uh, to God, I'm sorry. It was a gift to God from the best of the worshiper's produce and an act of thanksgiving for sins that were forgiven. An additional offering, a drink offering, some many times was poured out onto that as, a, as, a, as an emphasis on the joy. The third, as we continue the peace offering, the purpose of that peace offering was that for, it was in addition to the burnt offering and that closed with the meal and that represents God as the, the priest, the worshiper and his or, her friend, his or her friends as they ate together. Again, it was to say we're coming together in peace. As we continue on, we look at the fourth one. That was called the sin offering. Now, some say that the better translation would be purification because it dealt with two issues. It dealt with the necessity of forgiveness from an unintentional sin and the cleansing of ceremonial uncleanness. And then fifthly, let's go on, was the guilt offering. And that caused the individual to look beyond the sin to the damage it caused. Look at Leviticus chapter 5. Verse 16, he says, if anyone in chapter five, verse 16, he says, if anyone commits, commits a breach of, of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish of the flock, valued in silver shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution. As we said before, this was to make restitution because damage had been done to someone else. This was a sin that affected others. The guilt offering is also called reparation because the person not only sought forgiveness for his unintentional sin, but first he also must pay full restitution added to the price of the additional offering. Now, as I read all of these things, and I hope you read through them, whereas we went through here, the thing that would strike me, it was what's going on every day that this had to happen, is the visual, the auditory, and the olfactory senses that would have on the children of Israel. In other words, the, the sights and the sounds and the smells. From the sight of the cattle and the rams, the sheep, the goats, and the various birds that are congregating in all the pens and just bustling about 
to the cages of the bleeding of the sheep and the goats, the belling of the cattle as they were herded into the pens, to the singing and the screeching of the birds waiting for their own slaughter, to the overwhelming sense of the animal sense and the terrible smell of burnt animal flesh. So you could imagine that this, as we said in our adult core class, that this would be an overwhelming sense. And as you think of the tabernacle, you think of the beauty, right? It was a beautiful building. It had wonderful furnishings that were made of gold and brass and all sorts of things. And, and the glory of God was on the, on the most holy of place. But you could imagine, though, as you come near to the, to the outer courts, as you read here, is that this place became a bloody mess. There would be blood everywhere. Everything would be stained with blood. From the altars where the blood was poured onto, to the golden, golden and brass furnishings of the tabernacle, to the clothes of the priest, to the hands of the priest, and even as yourself, as you're walking through blood that is just pour out everywhere. This would be a scene that you and I would cringe at. You and I, as we walk in there, would not be able to understand it or accept it. We would probably flee from such a thing. If you're like my mom, she cannot even watch commercials for dog shelters. She just starts to just lose it. And many of us can remember scenes from the past, the documentaries of what happens to animals that are in cages. Let me tell you, Peter would have a fit as you would see what's happening to these animals. To day in and day out. Now to me, this does not sound appetizing, an appetizing environment to be around. It's the cries of the animals to the, to the children and to those who are watching what's going on. Yet day by day, this would be the sights and the sounds and the smells that would surround them. I don't know if you ever smelled burnt flesh, but how do you get that out? It's really difficult. And this would permeate the tabernacle and the clothes and the, and the environment around them. These offerings and sacrifices, sacrificial laws, we think, oh, these are just things that they had to follow. But I'm telling you, they would be difficult to do. They would be draining. They would require diligence and determination to uphold as you are considering every unintentional sin and then say, oh no, I've got to bring a lamb or I've got to bring a sheep or I've got to bake a cake. I've got to do something to make this right. It would be exhausting. One theologian notes that in just these seven chapters of Leviticus are painstaking details that seem to go on forever with great tedium. When you read these chapters, you just come away exhausted from all the focus on the exact precise way to do all this stuff. You couldn't make it up. You just couldn't just do it on your own. The only thing that might be more tiresome than reading it is actually doing it all. It's just draining. God expects such precision to worship and obey him. But what we're going to see is all of this is meant to underline, 
to underscore how difficult it is for sinners to live with the Holy God. So why did God choose this type of elaborate system and rituals to deal with unintentional sins? That's the majority of what we hit. Not intentional, but unintentional. God is trying to underscore the high cost of sin, how difficult it is to deal with it. You and I can't comprehend this. For when you sin unintentionally or intentionally, what do you do? You may take a second to close your eyes and say, I'm sorry, Father, forgive me. But if you could imagine if what you had to do in those times is you had to go into the pen of one of your animals that you have spent a lot of money on. This animal, this cattle, this ram, this goat, it is money. Maybe you get goat uh, milk from it. Maybe it's something that you're raising up for, for a pet or for some other thing. But you would have to go and you'd have to take that animal, put a rope on it, lead it to the priest, take it to the priest, say what your sin is, put your hand on it, and then take a knife and rip the throat of that animal. The life in Leviticus, what God required was very difficult. But what is so important to understand is that how precise this must be and how difficult and draining this must be day in and day out, that these sacrifices were only temporary. You see, these sacrifices did not take away the sin of those who made the offering. Turn, if you would, to, to Hebrews chapter 10. We read this earlier in our scripture reading, but it's important for us to understand it. Even the diligent observer of the law would never find peace from his guilt and his shame. The sacrifices would temporarily cover their sins, earning God's patience and forbearance in putting the death penalty upon them. But it could not take away the stain of sin and full forgiveness. Again, Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things instead of the true form, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. It was temporary in the fact that it had to be continued. It never would take away sin. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered? But we know that they were not. Because once he had been cleansed, would he no longer have any consciousness of sin? But we see that he does. It did not take that away. But in these, these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. But here he's talking about the Day of Atonement, not necessarily the daily sacrifices they had to bend. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. These were temporary, day in and day out, but yet they did not deal with the sin issue. Not only that, it did not deal with the heart attitude of the sinner. And it was not satisfying to God. Turn to Isaiah chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 11. Because just like today, people who go through the religious motions of praying, 
reading God's word, standing and singing and saying all the right things. And maybe even saying, oh, Lord, I'm sorry I sinned today. Forgive me. Restore me. People just go through the motions. And in this tedious sacrificial rituals that they have to follow through the motions, that's what many of them were doing. Their hearts were not changed. And they did not, and they had ceased to give thanks in their offering. Look at verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 1. This is God speaking. He says, What is to me, what did what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? Says the Lord. What does God say? I have had enough of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the bloods of bulls and of lambs or goats. When you come to be fear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring me no more vain offerings, he says. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of the convocations. I cannot endure the iniquity and the solemn assemblies. These are things that he had commanded them to do. Look at verse, uh, uh, going to verse 14. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Speaking of holy hands. After they would kill the lamb, they would seek out the holy hands. We sung about this just a moment ago. He says, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. You see, sin is more than just the things that you do unintentionally or intentionally. It goes down to the heart as Jesus taught. Where does evil come? It comes from the heart. And many times our rituals and our, and our sacrifices and our offerings can become just something we go through the motions. They were temporary. They did not deal with the heart or with the sin issue. One teacher points out that the placing of the hands on the head of the sacrifice, the ram, the little lamb, the goat, was a symbolic act of transferring the sinner's guilt onto the bull. And so they would come, and we'll see, talk about this a little bit later as we get into the Day of Atonement, but as that, that ram would come, that little lamb, whatever animal that you had been raising, you would put your, your hands on there and you would kind of confess your sin. It was like a transfer of I'm putting my sin upon them. Then that bull is killed for your sin. So when an Israelite is mindful of his sin, this is what he needed to do. He had to come and put his hands on that animal and say, you die for me. How many bulls and sheeps and goats and birds do you think a single Israelite might offer in his entire adult life? Now we're going back to that book of sins. How many? How much money must he pay to buy that animal. 
You think the Lord takes sin seriously? That's a question I want you to consider. Do you think that the Lord takes sin seriously? Well, the Israelites had that graphically ingrained into them through such common offerings. A little child would grow up. What's going on, Daddy? Why are we taking old Betsy to the temple? And wait until he sees and realizes what's happening to the little lamb that he might have played with and fed. The birds that when I sang or chirped. We have to kill this animal for us, for me. Why, Daddy, why? Well, I got mad at your mother. Why do we have to kill this? Well, because you rebelled against me and you disobeyed me. Take your Bibles and turn to Leviticus chapter 6, verse 13. If you would, I'd like for you to underline and highlight this verse as we think of these sacrifices. For this is so important for us to realize as they went day in and day out. And you think of each death, each swipe of the blade against the throat of that animal. was telling you about sin. Leviticus chapter 6 verse 13. Look at this. The fire shall be kept burning on the altar. How? Continually. It shall not go out. Why? Because sin is an ever presence in your life and in my life. An atonement must be made. However, because the offerings of the Vigas had their ultimate set fulfillment in Jesus Christ, here's the hope that you and I have. There is no need for them today. You and I do not have to go through this ritual offering these five offerings each and every day for our unintentional sins or for the damage that we cause to others. In fact, after Jesus has sacrificed his life on the cross and rose again, the temple was destroyed in AD 70. No sacrifices have been made there since that day in history. Those Jews who want to be um, uh, faithful to scripture can no longer do this. But see, here's the hope. I am glad that they were temporary. I am glad we are not living in a day and age where I have to take my children to the temple or to a tabernacle and kill an animal for my sin. I would tell you that there are not enough animals to cover my sin. It would never change my heart. I think in some ways it may even harden our hearts. But praise God, as you and I are standing in your setting here today, Christ has replaced those. The sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed forward to the perfect and final sacrifice of Christ. Amen? As with the rest of the law, the, the sacrifices were a shadow of things to come. The reality is found in Christ. 
Today, Christians recognize Christ's atoning death on the cross as the only needed sacrifice for sin that's offered once for all. His death opened up the holy place, the holy of holies, so you and I can now freely enter in to God's presence. And you and I can now offer our sacrifice of praise. Let me ask you today, or tell you that you and I are called today to look at Christ as our sacrifice. As John the Baptist, as he was sitting there and Jesus walked through the city, he said, behold, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You and I no longer look back into the blood of goats, of bulls and goats, but we look to the one who has died for us. You and I look to something much greater. So what does this mean for you and I? And here's the moderate. I want to get you, you need to get this point. We're going to be looking at several points as we work our way through. The first point, the main point, is that Leviticus reminds us of the grace of our God and the high cost of our sin. It reminds us of the grace of God and the high cost of our sin. As new covenant people of God, it's easy for you and I to minimize our sin. We do it each and every day. We're not reminded graphically, how, as the Israelites were, of the cost of sin. That's why we just do a simple, Lord, just forgive me. But you and I need to be brought back to see what the high cost of sin is. Yeah, after all, Jesus died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin in full. You and I no longer need to bring daily sacrifices to the temple and praise God for that. We should. But that very freedom can tempt us to minimize our own sin. Leviticus, on the other hand, reminds us that sin is costly. Whether that cost is borne by the one who commits the sin intentionally or unintentionally or by those that are damaged by sin. The cost of sin is found very simply in diseases and sickness like cancer and heart attacks, stroke, diabetes, and plagues. It's found in natural disasters such as hurricanes, tornadoes, fire, flood, and earthquakes. It's found in economic hardships as poverty, inequality, and greed. It's found in broken relationships due to jealousy and envy and bitterness and resentment and anger. The high cost of sin is found in broken homes due to disregarding of the marriage vows and selfishness and a lack of love. I wonder how many of you end your day by saying, Father, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Forgive me. For David to pray that was, was dangerous. Because when, he, when, when God would then reveal the sin, that means there he goes, back to the temple. For you and I, it's getting down on our hands and knees and pleading for forgiveness and trusting that he'll restore us. As early as Genesis 2.15, we are told that the wages of sin is death. And no matter what the sin, you and I deserve the death penalty. But in Leviticus, our gracious Lord establishes a system of sacrifice whereby sinners may present a substitute. Just imagine every time a person sinned, he or she was to bring an animal that would receive the death penalty that they deserve. The innocent for the guilty. 
Now that is grace. And so as you read Leviticus, it is a way in which we see the beautiful picture of the gospel of God's grace. That no longer are we required to do that. But we look to the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. One theologian remarks, it's here on the monitor so you can follow along with me. That the sacrificial system was ordained by God. And it was placed at the very center and heart of the Jewish national life. Whatever the Jews may have thought of it at the time, the unceasing sacrifice of animals and the never-ending glow of fire at the altar of sacrifice, there is no doubt, there is no doubt that God was burning into the hearts of every man an awareness of their own sin. And that's my call to you. Are you aware of your own sin in your life? An object, it was an object lesson that would make your skin crawl was to be an age-long picture of the coming sacrifice of the Messiah. The sacrifices pointed to him and they were fulfilled in him. Not only does the sacrificial system remind us of the cost of sin, but it also reminds us that God accepts a substitute. That substitute was to come from the sinner's own flock. Imagine if every time you sin, you had to go out to the back, get a lamb for your flock, bring it to the, peace, uh, to the priest. And when you brought the lamb to the priest and you presented it as your substitute, you were admitting that you're a sinner. You're admitting that you have sinned. Here's my substitute. And then you, not the priest, would then have to cut, slit that lamb's throat. The blood pours out. Think of all that blood. It's not just from your sacrifice, but it would be from all the sacrifices of that day of your family and your friends and your neighbors. Now, under the new covenant, you and I don't get this poignant picture of what, says, what our sin cost and how God addresses it in our substitute. But Leviticus is there for us today to help us to see the extravagance of God's grace and the cost of our sin. So when you come to Leviticus, do not see it as a book of old rituals and disgusting uh, symbolisms, but see it for what it is. As we learned last week, the gospel is front and center in this wonderful book. As one who says Leviticus doesn't merely detail animal sacrifice and holiness codes. It does that, but it does so much more for it exposes the heart of a gracious God who provides a substitute for the sin of his rebellious, repentant people. And that substitute not only received the death penalty in our place, but he also obeyed in our place, Jesus Christ, gaining for all us the blessings of holiness. You know, like the children of Israel, this beautiful picture of grace and redemption through a substitute should lead us to a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. They demonstrated their gratitude through cheerful, generous, and sacrificial giving. And I want to challenge you. As you come here this morning, did you come with a heart that was cheerful, ready to give generously, and sacrificially. Now I'm not just talking about your money, though that's part of it. But how about your time and your spiritual gift of your energy? Were you ready? Did you come prepared? Were you here early? 
Were you ready to meet and greet and love others and pray with them and rejoice with them? Pursuing corporate and personal holiness together. That's what God has called us to. To a life of obedience. There's a song called His Forever. It says, Jesus, a friend of sinners, a crown of thorns you wore for me. Bruised for my transgressions, pierced for our iniquities. The wrath of God that I deserved was poured out on the innocent. For the Leviticus, it was on an animal. And then on Christ. It goes on to saying, he took my place, my soul to save. Now I am his forever. Let me close with this wonderful verse that's on the, on the, on the monitor. From the disciple whom Jesus loved, the Apostle John, who wrote in 1 John chapter 4, In this the love of God was made known or made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. He's called us to rejoice, to be grateful, and to join him in obedience. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the satisfaction for our sin. No longer bulls and goats, no longer offerings each and every day, no longer a bloody mess, but looking to the one who died for us. I pray that would bring you to gratefulness, thanksgiving, but also to pursue holiness as children of God. Every head bowed and every head closed. So the worship team comes up. I want you to just take a moment to pause, to consider, to pray and to respond to what God is calling you today. Do you take time to become aware of your sin? Do you recognize the high cost of sin? Not only to yourself, but the, the damage that it causes to others. Do you recognize that one died for you? And that we're called to pursue holiness with our very being. Why? Because he loved us and sent his son. I'm going to call you to read chapters 8 through 10 next week. Let us pray that God would call us to respond to holiness. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, as we read of the old Israelites and what they had to do, we are so thankful that we did not have to go through that. I could not imagine if my life was filled with spending my time doing things of that nature. How tedious, how, how, how going through the motions it definitely would be. But Father, prevent us, keep us from having a heart that, that is hardened or just goes through the motions. Let us be aware of the cost of sin. It costs you. But also thank you for being a substitute, a sacrifice once for all. Father, may we respond with a grateful heart and a desire to pursue you in holiness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org.
There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.